Amen. So awesome. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. Lord, keep us in the moment. God, we don't want to miss what you have for us. Lord, that's our prayer, this whole series, and especially today. God, we thank you for this moment right here and right now. Keep us in this moment. Lord, our eyes are on you. Our heart is on you. Lord, we believe that you have a word for each and every one of us. Lord, help me articulate it the way that you want to. Give me your words. And Lord, transform us all into your image and your likeness. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys like that song? Love that song. That song's on repeat in, our, in the Giso house. Um, the kids love it too. <clears throat> but today, we are closing out our series, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. So good to see you guys, both in person and online. Man, have you guys been encouraged and challenged a little bit the last couple of weeks? I know that we have been. I was talking to someone before service, and she was like, hey, I'm so excited to hear your message this morning. And I'm like, I am too. I need to hear it again too. This stuff is hard to slow down and to really take on the yoke of Jesus in his way, in his lifestyle. So all month we've been talking about this ruthless elimination of hurry. If it's your first Sunday here, want to catch you up where we have been, and then we'll talk about where we're going. Week one, Pastor Eric started us off with the way of Jesus and shared the scripture from Matthew 11 that's kind of been the umbrella scripture for the whole series. I'll go ahead and read it one last time. It's Jesus talking, and he says, hey, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And so, man, week one, we said, hey, Jesus has an invitation for us to follow his ways, to take upon his yoke, to come and receive his rest. We learned that that word yoke is in reference to the yoke you know, that you put on oxen, and it refers to a pacing in a lifestyle. Come put on the pacing in the lifestyle of Jesus so that you can find rest. The big takeaway was, hey, if we want to experience the life of Jesus, we have to embrace the lifestyle of Jesus. So then week two, I talked about... Um, Middle schooler addicted to TikTok, what was it? TikTok middle schooler versus um, Aunt Polly or Grandma Polly. And we talked about how do we um, ruthlessly eliminate hurry. We, um, it starts with daily rhythms of silence and solitude with the Lord, right? Daily quiet time with the Lord. And, and we said, hey, what does that quiet time even look like? What is our pacing even within those quiet moments with the Lord? And we took an honest evaluation of, man, are we even rushing through that? Or, are we, or do we need to be more like um, Grandma Polly, who really probably has the pacing that is more like Jesus, where she's got all afternoon and a pot of tea to talk with us, and there's so much that the Lord has for us in those times. And then last week, Eric knocked it out of the park um, talking about what's the deal with Sabbath. And man, Sabbath is such a game changer. We know that, that God created the world in six days and he rested on the seventh and all throughout creation, God has instructed his people to follow this rhythm of Sabbath where you work for six days and you fully rest one day a week, one 24 block of 
24-hour block of time every week where God says, hey, remember and honor the Sabbath. And so we talked about that. Man, what does that look like to live like that? is not just living differently on one day, but to really remember and honor the Sabbath is living differently every day. Eric shared that normally um, we Sabbath on Saturday, and we're, we, we try to not be re- religious or like nitpicky about it, but capture the heart of it. Man, God wants us to not work and to truly enjoy his rest. But we are actually leaving for a family vacation in like an hour. The van is loaded and we're ready to go. And so yesterday we didn't Sabbath because we're going to be Sabbathing all week on vacation with the kids. And our middle son, Eli, came up to me about halfway through yesterday. And he was like, man, mom, I really wish we were Sabbathing today. Because <laughs> we were hustling and we were packing and we were getting ready. And I just, it blessed my heart because I was like, man, he's growing up knowing the value of Sabbath. And it's a blessing to our kids when we cease from work and we truly delight in God and life. So today's the last week. We've been following kind of the outline of John Mark Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And the, the last couple practices he talks about in that book is simplicity and slowing. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of my message is The Cost of Clutter. So let's talk about simplicity first. Jesus has a lot to say about simplicity, and one of the best places to look is in the story of Mary and Martha, Jesus' good friends. Let's take a look at it in Luke 10, verse 38 through 42. In the, in the Passion Translation, it says it this way. As Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey, they came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. <clears throat> her name was Martha, and she had a sister named Mary. Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation that he shared. But Martha became exasperated with finishing numerous household chores and preparations for her guests. So she interrupted Jesus and said, "Um, Lord, don't you think it's kind of unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You should go tell her to help me. Any mom ever heard that before? I can't count how many times I heard it yesterday. Um, But the Lord answered and said, Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you upset and troubled, pulled away by all these many distractions? Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted and I will not take this privilege from her. Man, I love that last sentence, talking about Mary. She is undistracted, and I will not take that privilege from her. Undistracted. What would it look like for us to live undistracted? We live in such a distracted world. Every time we pick up our phone, we've got notifications going. One great way to declutter your life is to turn off your notifications. Messages are coming at us all the time. There can be distractions in our life, but Jesus said, hey, Martha did not prioritize, you know, her actions did not reflect her values. She was anxious and distracted and exasperated, the translation said, because she was so focused on the many things but missing the moment, missing the one thing. 
missing this moment with Jesus because she was so focused on the many. And, you know, Jesus said, look at Mary. Mary could have had the same distractions going on in her life, but she recognized the most important thing, and she didn't miss the moment with Jesus. When we simplify our lives, we can live undistracted, intentionally focusing on the most important thing. Because clutter costs us the moment. Sure, you guys have been there before. Clutter on our phone, missing the moment over dinner. Clutter on our phone, missing the moment with our kids or our grandkids. Clutter in our garage, missing the moment in the backyard. Clutter in our schedule, missing family dinners in the evening. Clutter caused Martha to miss the moment with Jesus. Clutter causes us to miss many moments with God and with others. And man, I can relate to Martha. You know, Martha was busy doing a lot of good things. She was busy serving, doing ministry, but in the midst of serving, she missed the whole point. You know, scripture tells us, Jesus tells us to serve others. You see the life of Jesus, and he was constantly embracing opportunities to love and to serve people, especially when it was an inconvenience to him. So serving is not the problem. But when serving causes us to miss the main thing, it becomes a problem. And I can relate to that. You know, Eric and I, for a long time now, have been called to ministry, and we love it. It's, our, it's what we're called to do, and, and man, we go at it with all of our heart. And uh, before kids, like, that's all we did. Like, that's all we talked about. I remember when we had Ella and we went out to eat, we were like, oh, there's other things to talk about. Let's talk about Ella. <laughs> it was so refreshing to talk about something else. But anyways, we, we eat, breathe, sleep. I mean, we love serving God and serving people. Um, but I'll never forget about five years ago, you know, our oldest is 10 years old. And so every parent in the room knows when you become a parent, things change. And you can't keep at the same clip. You can't keep at all the same commitments because of the commitment of raising kids, right? Well, <clears throat> we didn't pull back and we didn't adjust and we didn't reprioritize the way that we should have. And so I'll never forget it all kind of peaked about Five years ago, Ella was a preschooler about going to go into kindergarten. Eli, our middle son, was a toddler. And Ezra was a twinkle in our eyes, or maybe I was pregnant with him at that time. I can't really remember. But we had not prioritized. And we were both working full-time at a large church and had numerous daytime um, Obviously, daytime requirements to our job. We were leading a discipleship program, teaching classes, leading prayer meetings, meeting one-on-one with students. But then there's lots of evening ministry opportunities too. And so anytime an opportunity came about, we eagerly raised our hand. Hey, we'll do that. We'd love to lead that. And so in addition to daytime responsibilities, we had like piled up our evenings also. We were signed up to lead a weekly Sunday night premarital class, and then we signed up to lead the Bible classes that happened in the evenings, and we were leading a weekly small group, and at that time we were trying to figure out how to, like, you know, survive with daycare costs, and so there was a season where I changed some of my daytime hours to be evening hours, and it limited me from being there for the kids at bedtime, and so there was a good, like, six-month stretch towards the end of our season out there 
where, um, where I was away from the kids at bedtime more than I was with them. There was a couple of weeks where it was like, I haven't seen the kids at bedtime. It was like once a week for a couple of weeks. And I was missing the moment. I was busy doing many good things, serving. I was Martha, doing many good things, but missing the whole point. And it all accumulated. There was this one class where Eric and I had invested heart and soul into these students and ministered to them at late hours and were there for them and poured our life into them, had sacrificed family things to be there for them. And there was a handful of students at the end of this one year that they just totally flaked out. A handful of them walked away from their faith and stopped following Jesus. Another handful of them just got offended and disgruntled at the church and God. And I remember that moment was heartbreaking as a minister. You never want that. And, um, and I remember the, <clears throat> what I had sacrificed. And I remember that, oh, heck no moment. Oh, heck no. I'm not missing the moment. I'm not sacrificing my main ministry of being a mom for ministering to other people. And so about a year later is when God called us out here to start alive. And I'll never forget that summer. We moved here. It was the beginning. We moved the very beginning of June or the very end of May. I'll never forget that moment where everything that was on our calendar for our previous ministry and relationships um, was gone. And we, here we were with an absolutely blank calendar. And we had the opportunity to make sure that our lifestyle, our, our calendar reflected our values. So we were always diligent about morning, quiet time with the Lord. But we were learning the rhythms of Sabbath. So we started making that a practice, but the very, I remember very, a big priority in that season was what night are we going to dedicate to just having family fun every single week? And so we said, we're going to dedicate Friday nights. Friday night is family fun night, and the kids can count on every Friday night. We are there distraction-free. Of course, we're hanging out with them during the week, but like, this is like, we're going to do something fun as a family every Friday night. We want the kids to know they are always above the church. They're always above everything else. And so we started to make sure that we were prioritizing our life and not missing the main thing. And so we located what are those things that are sacred in our life? What are the things that are sacred in your life? For us at that time and still at this time, you know, it's the quiet time. It's the Sunday mornings. It's the, the weekday small groups. <clears throat> but as it relates to our family, it's the, it's the morning time and it's the bedtime. It's the pickup and the drop-off at school. It's the, meal, it's the family meal times. We decide, you know, our kids aren't going to do, they're going to do either zero sports or one sport per season <clears throat> because, man, we want to have as many unscheduled evening homes as a family as we can. We just started to think about what are those sacred things that when an invitation comes that, sorry, no, we can't do that on Friday night because we're with the kids. The monthly date nights, the things that we're like, man, we're not going to have the clutter cost us the main thing. So I want to encourage you, what is that for you? You know, that season taught me that to say yes to one thing is to say no to something else. You know, we're not, we don't have limitless hours in the day. We don't have limitless capacity to be fully present in all things. And so when we say yes to one commitment or we say yes to one possession, it's saying no to other things instinctively. So we're talking about simplicity, but really what we're talking about is intentionality. 
We can only live lives of simplicity if we live lives of intentionality. So I want to ask you this morning, what is that one thing or the main thing in your life? You know, we've always been taught that when prioritizing our life, God is number one, family is number two, church family is number three, and all else follows behind. Prioritizing our life in that way to make sure those values are a priority. Is there anything in your life, is there any area of your life that you're missing the main thing by attending to the many? There's a cost to the clutter in our life. And you know, we've been talking about all these different practices, but the daily habit of quiet time with the Lord helps us daily, you know, have a moment of silence before him and, and say, search me, O Lord, and know my heart and see if there's any anxious way in me as we practice all of these things that helps practice the other thing. So in these quiet times with the Lord on a daily basis, you're, he's able to speak to you and say, hey, things are out of whack. There is anxiety in your heart because your priorities are not dictating your actions and in all the different ways that Sabbath and slowing helps us really live unhurried life so that we can truly have union with Christ. So that's schedule. And I think you know, we understand that, and that's hard, but it's so important. The other way that we can have clutter is with our possessions. Jesus said it this way in Luke 12, 15. Jesus said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Life's not measured by how much you own. The Passion Translation says it this way. Speaking to the people, Jesus continued and said, be alert and guard your heart from greed and from always wishing that you, wishing for what you don't have. For your life can never be measured by the amount of things that you possess. I think we all agree with that statement cognitively, but a lot of times our actions don't show that because we think, oh, if only <clears throat> I can go on that vacation, then I'll be happier. If only when I can finally afford that house or that car or those clothes or these activities for my kids, then at that point in life, I'll be happier because subconsciously we believe that the sum of our life really is how much we can accumulate and possess. And Jesus is saying, no, your life isn't the sum total of everything that you possess or accomplish. More stuff doesn't equal more happiness. And actually the statistics show that more money, more problems. The statistics shows that the more you have, the more anxiety you have. Because then you have to figure out, when are you going to clean it? When are you going to maintenance it? Where are you going to store it? And then the next year, where are you going to store it again? Because you collected more things that you need to adjust where it all goes. Pastor Eric will do a study on healthy money in a couple of weeks at the end of the month. But in the context of possessions, I'll just say this. We believe that God wants us blessed from the core. The first words that God spoke over Adam and Eve was blessing. That's his heart towards us is that we would be blessed, spirit, soul, body. It includes possessions. And the purpose of being blessed is twofold, to enjoy it and to be generous, to give and to serve other people with it. God doesn't have a problem with us having money or possessions. He has a problem with us, with the possessions or the money, having us. 
Just like there's a cost to a cluttered schedule, there is a cost to a cluttered home. Around the time five years ago when we were working through the things that I mentioned earlier about missing the main thing because of the many, we are also reading a book called The More of Less by Joshua Becker. He's a Christian, used to be a pastor, had this moment of awareness on the things that we're talking about, and and since then this has become his mission um, to believers and non-believers alike. And he shares this moment in his book, and he says it this way. He says, my story begins in suburban Vermont while I was cleaning the garage. I was cleaning the garage, my wife was cleaning the bathrooms inside, and my five-year-old son was playing alone in the backyard. I struck up a conversation, regular conversation with the neighbor, and the neighbor commented, hey, maybe you don't need to own all that stuff, as everything in my garage was piled on my driveway. He says, at this point, this was a juxtaposition was striking. My possessions piled up in the driveway, my son in the backyard, and my day slipping away. I immediately recognized that something needed to change. My belongings were not adding value to my life. Instead, they were subtracting from it. And it was from that moment that he started to simplify his life and get rid of stuff and make sure that he wasn't missing the moment because of the time it spent to care for the possessions that he had. There is a cost to every possession we have. Man, our life is such a vapor. Life is so precious, and we don't want to miss the moment, right? There's a cost to every possession we have. We live in America, the land of opportunity, where where the opportunities are limitless, and it is such a blessing. If we can dream it, we can have it. There's opportunity endless in this country, which is amazing and a blessing. But just because we could buy our kids 500 toys, I wrote that in my notes and I was like, do our kids have 500 toys if you counted all the little figurines? I hope not. Our kids could have 500 toys, but is it beneficial? Our kids could be enrolled in every sport and camp and thing that they could do, but is it beneficial? We could go on all the vacations and do all the things and have all the possessions, but at a certain point, the things that we accumulate, the clutter in our life can distract us from the main thing. And I'll let you decide where that line is. Because the truth is, oftentimes we end up possessing things and we're no happier for it. And it goes with exactly what scripture says. Nowhere in scripture does it say, when you possess more things, you'll be happier. It actually says the opposite, right? We'll be happier when we give things away. Acts 20.35, in the New King James translation, it says, And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he said it's more blessed to give than to receive. That Greek word in the original text, blessed, could actually be translated more accurately to say happier. You're happier when you give than when you receive. And that's actually how the message translation translates it. And the message, it says, you'll you'll not likely go wrong here if you keep remembering that our master said you're far happier giving than getting. So I don't know what this looks like for you. Um, But maybe this weekend, maybe this week, 
instead of going to buy four new sparkly things that you need to have to make you happy, what if you said, I'm not going to buy those four things. Instead, I'm going to go for, find four things at home that I haven't used in four years, and I'm going to give it away. Scripture says we're going to be happier when we give it away rather than when we receive it. And so, man, there's clutter in our life. And Eric and I have, it's hard, especially when you've got, during the school year, when you've got three kids coming home with 20 papers every single week. And every single day you have to say, no, get out. No, get out. Go into the trash or go into the memory bin or whatever. But every single decision we have about possessions or how we spend our life impacts other things. To the point, you know, when we moved here, we got rid of lots of stuff, you know, as pastors and learners, all of us. We've got lots of books, right? We got rid of, we, when we packed up our old house in Kalamazoo, we had like 20 boxes of books. You just hold on to them because maybe someday you'll want to read them. We got rid of half of our books. We got rid of like half of our stuff really when we were going through this season. But things accumulate and we always have to be careful what's coming into our life, even to the point where in our new home, there's all kinds of landscaping beds everywhere. And I'm looking at it through this lens, like, okay, if I keep that bed, it's going to cost me like 10 hours a year to maintain it. Do I value it that much? <laughs> so we've been getting rid of landscaping beds just to say, hey, I want to make sure I'm living in the moment and that my hours are truly reflecting my priorities. Again, the Christian author who used to be a pastor, Joshua Becker, who wrote the book, The More of Less, he defines what he calls minimalism. We're talking about simplicity. He defines it this way. The intentional promotion of things that we most value in our schedule and in our life and the removal of anything that distracts us from them. So this week, what clutter is distracting you from the main thing? You're like, oh, I want to have that daily quiet time with the Lord. I want to have that daily times of silence and solitude. What clutter is distracting you from that? Maybe remove it. What clutter is making it harder to practice the Sabbath than it could be? What would it look like to remove that clutter? What clutter is causing you to race through life moment by moment and missing the most important moments in front of you? So today is August 8th. Tomorrow is August 9th, and it's the start of our 21 days of prayer. Every year as a church in January, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting, and man, we always look forward to that. Like The holidays are over, and we're all ready to zone in with the Lord and fast and pray, and it's amazing. Every August, we do 21 days of prayer that does not include the fasting, but it's a focused time of connection with God. And every year, we have some kind of different focus or theme of this 21 days of prayer and fast, or 21 days of prayer. Starting tomorrow, 21 days of prayer, it's the challenge to apply everything that we've been learning um, these last couple of weeks. I want to encourage you, man, what would it look like for the next 21 days, for every single day for the next 21 days, for you to have that moment um, of solitude with the Lord? In the morning, maybe you do it in the evening, but you have that daily pause with the Lord. What would it look like for the next 21 days, which is three weeks, to Sabbath fully, to reorganize your priorities in your day, to say, okay, God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try this out. I'm going to fully do a full stop on a 24-hour block every week to cease from labor and to fully receive the rest that you have for me and delight and enjoy life. 
What would it look like these next three weeks to simplify my life somehow? Maybe it's deleting half of the apps on your phone or removing the notifications or cleaning out your garage or catch-all room. What would it look like to slow down, have a different pacing, and fully be present in every moment? We encourage you guys to join us in those 21 days. Lastly, I'm going to close with this, the last spiritual practice we're talking about that helps us live this unhurried life so we can have union with Christ is slowing, slowing. Can I be honest? This one is the absolute hardest for me. Um, I really value time, and I recently found out that I valued a lot more than I even want to acknowledge. Recently, Eric and I did some kind of personality assessment thing with these new, uh, something we hadn't done before. And my top, like, strength, my top strength was timekeeper. I was off the charts as a timekeeper, and it really bothered me. I looked at it, and I was like, timekeeper? Like, I'm a really good timekeeper. But the more I read it and realized it, I'm like, I am a really good timekeeper. Like, time has really high value in my life. If you want to be on time, come hang out with me. If you don't want to waste time, come hang out with me. The thing that I hate more than most is wasting time. I hate wasting time. And so slowing is really hard for me, honestly. And when it comes to my relationship with the Lord, I don't ever want to be behind him. Like, I don't want to waste God's time. I don't want him to tell me something today and I don't do it for two years. Like, I would never want to do that, which is a good thing, but in, but in excess, it's a bad thing because if I'm not careful, I can try to strive and outpace God's pacing and I have to be really intentional to stay in his yoke and his pacing and his timeline. So slowing. I think if we're honest, God is a lot slower than we'd like to admit. You know, we live in an Insta, microwave, technology speed generation. And, and God is the God of the sunrise and the sunset and the, the process that it takes to grow plants. And he's, he's a lot slower than I think we'd like to admit. I love this scripture in 2 Peter 3.9, yeah, 3.9 in the New Living Translation, it says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some think. No, he's actually being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. So we're like, God, why are you so slow? And he's like, I'm not slow, honey. I'm very patient. Don't you love that? God's so good. We want him to be faster when it comes to like making things happen in our life and good things happening and the dreams of our heart coming to pass. But aren't you so glad that God is slow and patient with us when it comes to our development and our growth and us getting a clue about how to follow him and live a life that honors him. God is so slow and so patient and I'm so grateful for it in that way. In that scripture, you can see it Um, slowness and patience almost being used interchangeably. God's not slow. He's patient 
We know from scripture that love is patient, so love is slow. We know from scripture that one of the fruits of the Spirit is patience, so one of the fruits of the Spirit is slowing. James 2, verse 3 through 4 says, Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or slowing. I just read this one this week, it ministered to me. But let patience or slowing have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Testing of your faith produces patience or slowing, and let patience or slowing have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. In the uh, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry book that we've been reading, early on in the book, there was a quote from a Japanese theologian on this topic of slowing, and and it says this, God walks slowly because he is love. We talked about this week, week two. You know, rarely do we say, hey, I'm running with God today. I'm running with God this morning. Maybe you go for a run and you talk to God. But in general, you know, we talk about Adam and Eve. And in Genesis, they walked with God in the coolness of the morning. We walk with God. God walks slowly because he's love. If he wasn't love, he would have gone a lot faster. Peace. Right? Like, I'm going to make this thing happen a whole bunch quicker. You're slowing me down. Peace. But love has a speed. Isn't that good? That's so challenging, too. It's an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from this technological speed at which we're so accustomed to. It's it's slow, yet it's Lord over all the other speeds because it's the speed of love. God has a speed, and it's a whole bunch slower than I think we'd like to acknowledge or, or embrace. But man, there's a speed and a candace cadence to God, and it's slow because it's patient. God is so patient with us. He's so slow with us, and that's a good thing. God takes the slow and healthy route 10 out of 10 times because slowing and patience builds something in us and develops us into the fullness of who God's called us to be. If God is slow and patient with us, let's be slow and patient in life. If God is slow and patient with us, let's be slow and patient with others. If God is slow and patient with us, then let's not rush through conversations or rush through the day. If God is slow and patient with us, then let's trust him and not strive to get out of his timeline and his pacing. Let's be fully present, undistracted with the gift in front of us. Let's not miss the moment, as we sang earlier. Friends, life is such a wonder, such a gift. Our life is a vapor, it's a breath, it's a gift that that we get to steward. Time is a gift that we can steward. Our possessions and the things that we've been given is something that we can steward to honor the Lord. I hope this series, you guys have caught a glimpse of, man, what would it look if I really put to practice all of these things that we're talking about? Because honestly, we could have talked about this for the rest of the year because it takes 
many months, many years to really walk this out. But I hope you've caught a glimpse of, man, what could my life look like if I really had that quiet moments with the Lord of silence and solitude every day? What could my life look like if I really honored and remembered the Sabbath? What if I had a day-long vacation every day where it was just time to rest and have fun and delight? What would my life look like? Man, what would it look like if my values dictated my actions, both in my schedule and in the amount of time I spent on my possessions? What if I simplified my life so that I didn't miss the moment? What if I slowed down? What if I was more patient and slow when it came to people and relationships and God's timeline on everything? Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much and we thank you for the invitation you have given us for your rest. Lord, it's so countercultural. It goes against everything in culture to go slow. It goes against everything in culture to not just keep accumulating, but to say, no, at a certain point, I am content. And at a certain point, I'm going to remove things that, that cause me to miss the main thing. Lord, help us prioritize our schedule this year so we don't miss the main thing. Help us honor you with the Sabbath. Bring rest. Help us catch our breath and fully follow the rhythms of your grace. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in and, of, in and, in and through us. Thank you that your yoke is not burdensome. It's not heavy. It's, it's meant to bless us. You're saying, hey, go take a day-long vacation every week. It's not burdensome. Hey, quit collecting and possessing and filling your schedule and just enjoy life. Jesus says, I have come that you might have and enjoy life. Lord, help us enter the rest that you have for us by faith. We love you, Lord. We receive the rest you have for us. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us as we outwork this. And what does this mean for our life? What does this mean for our family to not miss the moment? Jesus, we love you. Thank you for how you're transforming us and the work that you're doing in and through us. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good stuff. Awesome. Well, hey, we never want to close a service without giving a personal invitation. Man, our, our Lord is so patient, so loving, so kind. He's a gentleman. If you're here this morning and you've walked away from the Lord, you're not living for him fully. Or maybe you've never truly given your life to Jesus and say, God, I can't do this on my own. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my leader. And I trust you. God is trustworthy. His patience towards us makes him so trustworthy. His love towards us makes him so trustworthy. So if you're here this morning, whether in person or online, and you've never said, Jesus, be my Lord, I'm putting my trust in you. In a moment, we're going to just pray a prayer as a church family rededicate our life to the Lord, but if you've never prayed this prayer to say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord, or maybe you have, but you've walked away and you want to draw a line in the sand and say, today, I'm really living for you, Lord, and today I'm really causing you to be the Lord of my life. We encourage you to pray this with us. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. With all eyes closed and head bowed, if you're here this morning, and you would say, man, I want to honor the Lord this morning and give him my life. I'm ready to go all in. 
If you're here this morning online and you'd say the same thing, may we celebrate with you. With all eyes closed and head bowed, if, if that's you, would you just raise your hand to the Lord and say, God, that's me. Let me know who I'm praying with for the first time. Amen. If you're online, acknowledge it to a friend. If you pray this prayer for the first time, let a friend know later today that you gave your life to the Lord. Let's pray, church family. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you that you're slow and patient with us, that you're trustworthy. And today, we receive your love. We receive the forgiveness that you purchased for us on that cross. And today, we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that you are our Lord and you are our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To further connect with us at Alive, visit us at alivefamily.church. And remember, people matter and Jesus is alive.